Homestyle Green, episode 121, The Sociable Kitchen. G'day, Matthew Cutler-Welsh here for another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast all about inspiring people to make a better place to live. Have you ever noticed how in your home people tend to just turn up in the kitchen? It's where... People tend to gather, and no matter how much you maybe try and make the lounge room the place to be, people usually uh, gravitate towards the kitchen. And this is a concept that has been noticed by Chris Larson, and he has developed this concept of the sociable kitchen. And he has put a lot of his focus of design and architecture into embracing that concept. I guess it goes back to us getting around the campfire and, and being sociable in that area of food preparation. So he doesn't, uh, rather than fight that, he embraces it in his design. He's also a very strong advocate for passive solar design, but not just passive solar design for energy efficiency's sake. He wants to make uh, passive solar beautiful, and he does that clearly, uh, and we talk a lot about that. And I'll put some links up in the show notes. This is episode 121. So you can go to homestylegreen.com forward slash 121 and uh, check out the show notes and some links to Chris Larson Architecture. Before we get into the interview, though, just a a quick notice uh, and shout out to our lovely sponsor, um, ProClimber. ProClimber are fantastic. If you are looking at doing any sort of above average performing home, above code, or uh, even a high performance home like a uh, passive house, or not necessarily a certified passive house, but something close to that, then you'll know that air tightness is right up there with insulation. There's no point in having really good insulation if you don't have air tightness. And to get air tightness done well, you want to have some good wraps and you want to have some people who know what they're doing. So definitely get in touch with ProClimber. You can find the team there at ProClimber.com. That's P-R-O-C-L-I-M-A. And depending on where you are, it's either proclimber.com, proclimber.com.au, or proclimber.co.nz. Tell them Matt sent you. All right, I started out by asking Chris Larson why he does what he does. And uh, are you meaning kind of in general terms, Matt, like why am I an architect or why yeah. do I specialize in sociable kitchens and passive solar design? <laughs> um, well, I, has one led to the other? Well, they are. I think uh, um, it, in terms of the exploration of architecture, when I first started doing uh, – houses. I did some commercial work to start with, but then soon started zeroing in on houses here. And I live in an area where uh, a lot of custom houses are built. It's a very pretty place. It's uh, mountains of Western North Carolina uh, in uh, in the States. And um, I think one of the things was, well, well, what do you use to guide uh, practice with? You know, how do you uh, come up with a design that is actually going to serve people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not just something that's for the architect, right? That it really can uh, satisfy a number of uh, desires, the the desires that the clients have and how they, their, their lifestyle and the way that they want to use the house as well as uh, kind of, uh, you know, what I would look to get as an architect to make it good architecture, basically. Yeah. And and one of the, the, one of the main things I noticed to start was, uh, it always seemed odd to me if I ever went to anyone else's house, how, not necessarily odd, but kind of fascinating, 
that no matter what kind of a house it was or what kind of a kitchen it was like or what kind of views were in the living room, dining room, any of the other rooms, people always showed up in the kitchen. Yep. And that that was, uh, and I think everybody knows this, right? That the kitchen is the social hotbed of the house. And uh, I, I've been in places where I'll bet a lot of people have had this experience where the kitchen might be in the middle of the house and there's maybe one window in it and it's kind of totally dismal and it's not very big. And you've got a social occasion with 20 people on it or 20 people at it and 18 of them are in this kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And so I started to look at that as, well, how do you, how do you, uh, how can you take advantage of that? Or what's really going on there in terms of uh, people and, uh, you know, what's driving that? What's motivating folks? Uh, and then how can one design a house to take advantage of that to really make uh, that kind of social uh, opportunity, uh, you know, I guess more more easy for people to have. Um, and I started out uh, uh, kind of uh, trying to make a separate kitchen and a separate dining room and a separate living room, but make them in a triangular shape so that uh, instead of a linear shape, a lot of designs have like a kitchen and then a dining and a living room. Mm -hmm. And architecturally, that's kind of uh, is convenient because it fits with some of the, uh, uh, you know, gable-shaped form or rectangular form. Um, and so I started doing this triangular thing, which was not easy in terms of the, the form of this thing, uh, but trying to get the living room next to the kitchen. And then over time, eventually where I got to was uh, uh, creating a design that actually had a, a small table in the kitchen and a sofa that was actually in the kitchen in a way that you could still use the kitchen. Um, and, uh, you know, not, uh, these people wouldn't be in the way. Um, but you wouldn't, you'd have a minimum amount of uh, interference between uh, the cooks, people working in the kitchen and these other people that are in the kitchen. And uh, uh, so, uh, so yeah, building, and in, building in somewhere comfortable for guests you to got be it. in the space. You got it. Uh, and uh, on my website, there's some some diagrams that kind of show it. It's a little hard to describe, um, but basically, the uh, the thing that I noticed was that people, when they're social, that they really like to be at about arm's uh, length distance, so two to three feet. And uh, uh, occasionally, I'll be at a, a, some kind of a dinner party. And the energy, you're around the, the dining room table, and the energy level is high. And uh, usually the worst thing that can happen at that point is somebody says, well, let's go in the living room. Yeah. Uh, there's, right? There's just something about you just can't hang out at the, the, the dining table. That's not meant for long-term hanging out. Let's go in the living room. And then what happens is those, uh, some of those social distances that are two and three, four, five feet, they become six and seven feet in the living room. And it tends to uh, isolate the conversation. So, you yeah. know, you might have a conversation with the person next to you. But if there's six of you, you're probably not going to have that same kind of conversation that you did around the table. Um, Does this and, relate to uh, your countertop principle? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the other thing I noticed was that people, if they don't know everybody really well, oftentimes uh, – 
you know, it's a, it's a huge commitment to go in and sit in a sofa because you're kind of trapped there. You know, if somebody shows up and you really don't want to talk to them, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, you really do have to figure out some way to kind of extract yourself uh-huh. from that situation. If you're uh, – uh, the countertop principle is essentially – uh, people love to uh, hang out next to counters and have a conversation. So one hip is, uh, there's kind of some classic positions. I'm sure everybody knows you got one hip up against the counter and maybe an elbow on the counter. And, uh, and there you stand and then someone else shows up and you have a conversation and you can maintain that two to three foot distance really easily. Uh, that creates, uh, 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 it demands attention is what I finally figured out. Uh, any more than that, and people can drift in a conversation. Yeah, right. And so if you, if you want to be in a conversation, then that's absolutely ideal. Um, and so this uh, sociable kitchen that I called it then ended up with two counters that were splayed slightly, maybe 25 degree angle. So the space in between is a triangle shape. And then one, there's two islands. One has a range on it. One has a sink on it. And then there's this little table that's mostly for two people. And then that uh, displayed counters are capped by the, what I would call the sociable sofa. So the sociable table, the sociable sofa mm-hmm. <laughs> in the sociable kitchen um, uh, like that. And uh, uh, so in the, and I designed – the first place I did this was in a house for myself and kind of tested it out. And then other folks would come and see it and uh, really enjoyed it. And I'll bet about half the houses that I designed, then people would come and look and say, yeah, I, I want something like that. I want yeah, something right. that, that does that kind of a thing. And, and critically, um, these bench tops are islands, aren't they? They're not, they're not built into a, a U shape or a, or a that's gallery. That you can get yep. all the way around them. That's right. You can get all the way around them. And uh, uh, when you're, uh, sitting at the sofa, the sociable sofa, there's no countertop between you and the cooks. In the same way with the table. Uh, well, you've got the table, but it's a little table. It's for two. And so what we found, I've got one uh, daughter, and what we found is that uh, people, uh, anytime we have guests over, you know, they just come right to the kitchen. Yep. And then someone would almost always sit at the sociable table and we put little roller wheels on the chairs. We got chairs that, that you could roll around uh-huh. with the sociable sofa that were pretty comfortable. So you could, you could really hang out there. Uh, people will come and they'll, uh, first they'll lean against the counter and have a conversation. And then if it goes a little longer, they'll start sitting down and they'll sit at the sociable sofa or the sociable table and uh, like that. And then if we're cooking, if my wife and I are cooking, uh, it's really quite grand because they are right there. And, yeah. uh, you know, it really does create that place where people do want to come. Uh, and for families, I think it's really nice because you've got the teenagers that want to spend their entire lives in their room, but they do show up in the kitchen. <laughs> and uh, and when they do, there's comfortable places for everybody to hang out and uh, after meals, that kind of thing too. And and I, I just really have enjoyed it. So It um, sounds like you've got yeah. a lot of enjoyment and inspiration from observing people and not just observing their behavior. <clears throat> excuse me, their behaviors, but also getting a little bit scientific about that and measuring things like arm distances and and interactions and shapes. How important has that observation of people uh, become in in your architecture? Well, mostly it's kitchens. And then once outside of that, it seems other uh, principles are controlling 
Um, but there are some other things that come along with that. Like uh, uh, the other thing I noticed uh, sociable wise, and, and I think not much architecture really takes any of this into account, which is yeah. too bad. Um, that um, I remember being in a commercial space, which is uh, which is one of these spaces. It's like a big lobby space. You come in and it's it's big, and there was a column that was uh, kind of. It wasn't in the middle of the space, but it wasn't off to the edge. It was just kind of hanging out there, and that's where everybody would hang out. Um, if you were in that space, it wasn't a nice space to be to be in to begin with. Mm. Um, but then if people were in there, that's where they were. And I think next to the column, next to the column, uh, because, uh, again, there's this, for me, there's this sociable, social principle of, uh, people like to, uh, uh, associate with something for better or lack of better words for that, but associate with this column, be within, with arm's length or have their back against something or something to lean on, mm. um, uh, as compared to a wall, you know, being on the side of the room, this still keeps people kind of in the energy of the room, able to observe and watch, but still feel like, you know, you're part of that column in some way. <laughs> right. How else to describe it? Um, and so I'll look for some of those kinds of opportunities in other things that I design or in houses that I'm designing too, if I can shake a column loose uh, to do something like that. But in houses, not so important, uh, you know, if you've got two, three, four people um, like that. But it's still fun. I think it's still fun to think about that yeah. and uh, kind of get some of those qualities uh, in there. And uh, yeah. Tell us about your experience with passive solar design. How did you get involved with that? Passive solar, yeah, that is kind of one of my other loves as far as architecture goes. And uh, pretty much right from the get-go, I think I designed my first house in 85 or 84, something like that. And I had just read a book uh, uh, that had some uh, examples from the seventies where, uh, I don't know what happened, uh, in, in Australia with all of this, but in, in this country, they, they were machines that collected the sun and they looked that way. They didn't necessarily look like houses that had been a little bit taken a little too far towards the machine side of things. Mm -hmm. And this whole notion of passive solar of using the sun to, uh, get some kind of heat from just made a lot of sense to me. Yep. And so I started in on that track and uh, my, my real aim and, and the climate here is actually pretty mild. So I can bend some of the rules. It's not near as serious as climates further North uh, here in the U S um, and, uh, and so that's nice because I can still use a fair amount of glass and, uh, and get away with it uh, and still get the advantage of uh, eating with the sun um, so my real objective was to be able to incorporate the passive solar technology, the, the capturing the heat from the sun and have it be gorgeous, have it be a beautiful mm. house, have it yeah. be something that people, when they see it, they go, wow, that, that's really nice and not see that it's passive solar first and a home second yeah. to see that it's a home first and then be surprised that it actually uh, uh, performs well in, in terms of sustainability, in terms of, you know, all of those, uh, all of our green issues. So how do, you, how do you do that? Uh, that's not easy. Um, it's, uh, uh, for me, I've always enjoyed 
complex problems. And architecture has way more than its share. Uh, and then you throw in clients and <laughs> and mountain <laughs> sites, and it's uh, it's 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 quite something. But you're saying uh, architecture would be easy without clients. <laughs> yeah, if I were the client, it's, it's much easier. If I'm, if I'm the client, and I built my own house, that was uh, it, it cuts both ways. Though then it's uh, well, no, I, I get to make the decisions I want to make, but who's yeah. going to pay for that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when the clients are paying for it, it's like, okay, great, but they want what? Um, and uh, like that. Um, so, so, how do you make passive solar beautiful? Uh, for me, well, you know, we could start with the uh, the technical part of it is uh, obviously we want to make the east-west, I'm sorry, the north-south axis longer. So, in other words, we'll increase the amount of glazing to the south by by making it a longer, thinner building. Yeah. Okay, so that really helps. And then uh, there needs to be, so that's the uh, solar aperture, we would say south-facing glazing, and then that, in order to keep the heat out in the summer, that all needs to be appropriately shaded. So there's calculations you can do for that uh, high sun angle in the summer that uh, that all of the overhangs can be designed so that the, the you don't overheat in the summertime. And then in yep. the wintertime, you get the sun to come in, maximize that, minimize the summer, maximize the uh, the winter, and then designing some kind of mass inside the building so that when the heat does come in, it uh, gets absorbed by a stone wall, a concrete floor, uh, something like that. So the temperature swings inside are modulated. And those three things together for me would be passive solar. So the, um, long, and then, shape, the long shape, the yep. shading for yep. uh, keeping out the sun in, in the summer and having thermal mass for the winter. And having thermal mass, yep. And then in the summer, that thermal mass will keep the building cooler. Sure, yep. So it works well in both seasons. And and so that's kind of the starting point is all of those requirements need to be met plus everything else that is good architecture. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, probably the third factor in that was uh, a lot of the uh, – how would I say it um, – I guess uh, I would call it natural form patterns. So in the same way that I was looking at how people behave, uh, I was also looking at how nature creates form and then uh, coming up with kind of drawing on some of the, the ways that nature creates forms and the the patterns that are available in nature, the principles that nature uses to put forms together and then use those in putting together a building. And and hopefully, you know, when I would get all done, I always like to think of it this way, that the whole building would come out of these principles and none of it was left up to the ego of the architect. None of it's clever, in other words. It's all related to something real. It's almost as if you're not wanting to take any credit for those shapes yourself. <laughs> but that's exactly it. Yeah, you're yeah, perfect. You're drawing the inspiration and giving credit to nature for for the yeah. form. Yeah, and that is exactly right, Matt. And that is so my experience when I'm designing that. Uh, uh, basically, it feels like, uh, and I'll bet you've had this experience too, and many people have, it feels like I'm a channel for these ideas. So uh -huh. I'm there 
busy getting out of the way so that these ideas can come in. And, uh, and then they do. Once I get out of the way, they just seem to show up. And in the end, it's really clear that, uh, uh, you know, I was uh, instrumental in, in assisting this thing to, to coming into being, but I certainly wasn't the, the main mover and shaker in it, right? <laughs> you mean assisting sol- pass- the concept of passive solar? Yeah, well, the, all, the whole design that, that uh, uh, you know, I was, uh, I think I like to look at it as uh, a, uh, a midwife to this process that, uh, <laughs> right. you know, the kind of, just kind of assisting here. It's, it's coming, and if I don't get in the way, it will take care of itself, uh, yeah. that kind of thing. And nice. then there's a, there's a skill level to, you know, to, to, to being that kind of a channel or receiving those kinds of communications from what I would say from life or from however people want to term that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And for me, that's where the fun, the, the, the way big fun is, is, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, there was a quote from, I can't remember the architect here. Uh, uh, it, it was something like uh, in the beginning of his career, uh, he talked about it or he, he would say things like, well, look what I did. And then as he had more practice with design, you know, a decade later, it became, wow, look what we did. Yeah. And then another couple of decades went by and, and finally it turns to, look what happened. <laughs> nice. And nice. yeah, it is nice, isn't it? Does yeah. that facilitate a, a role rather than the all-encompassing creator and owner? That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And uh, yeah, and kind of getting away from the star system, you know, of architects doing, you know, being the star person that's going to come in and do whatever they do and and that kind of thing. But that's, that's a rock star, the rock star architect. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm interested in your roofs. I don't know if it's a result of that observation of nature and the form, the function um, leading the form, but you seem to have a, an affiliation with quite steeped, pitched roofs. Is is that intentional? Uh, yeah, uh, it would vary depending on projects. Um, a, a lot of my roofs they do tend to be more complex. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> including including one house here that's got ten roofs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. The ten uh, ten roofs. Uh, that one and the Noel house has a pretty complex roof, and and some of that gets driven by. Uh, there's another principle in there that I refer to, and uh, kind of in being in houses uh, early on in my career, I I was in and out of houses where they'd have. Uh, uh, eight foot ceilings or nine foot ceilings mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And what I found myself doing was every time I'd come into a room and I watched other people do this too, I would want to go over to the windows and, uh, and, and, and I would do this almost unconsciously, right? But I mm. would just be drawn to going to the windows. And what I was looking for was some sense of the sky. So if I'm in the say I'm 15 feet away from a window that's got a you know typical head height might be seven feet for an eight foot ceiling or you know eight feet eight foot for a nine foot ceiling, uh, then uh, I really can't see the sky from inside. Right. And what I'm really longing for is some kind of a notion of uh, I would say a bigger world or a bigger perspective or a sense of you know belonging to. Uh, to that blue sky or to nature, something like that. And so 
And every project I do, I try to get some piece of glass that's 10, 12, 14 feet high uh, that, that will do that from the middle of the room. So, like, if you look at the 10 roofs project, there is, uh, there's one roof that all the roofs are kind of coming down towards you in many of those photos. And then there's the, there's a roof over the, a little dining nook that goes the opposite direction, which raises that glass up to uh, probably 12 or 13 feet. Right. Um, and provides that kind of experience. And if you look through each of those projects, you'll see uh, how that that principle kind of guided some of those roofs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. And uh, really um, interesting use of shapes inside there, lots of circles and triangles. Uh, right, and right. In the same or similar places. So I'll definitely put some links in there so people can have a look at uh, – because you've got some great images on your website. Great. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Now, where do you think people go wrong with houses? Or if you want to put that in a more positive way, what, you've, you've mentioned <laughs> how to do a, your, your principles around solar, um, the passive solar. What do you think are the most important things to, to do if someone's – the outset of a of their own project. Well, you know, uh, houses are such a personal thing, and people, uh, you know, design and build them for so many different reasons. Um, my my take would be if people have an inclination towards some of these things, like I'm sure a number of these things that you talk about regularly with people, uh, all of these sustainable technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would certainly encourage folks in that direction. Um, I, I uh, have worked with people who request all kinds of things. So I, I have worked with people who come in and they see the sociable kitchen and they just say, I don't want one of those. <laughs> right. I want a kitchen that looks like this. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then I might explain about the, the higher piece of glass so that you, could, you can see the sky or how that, that kind of a view towards the outside will increase the psychological size of the house without necessarily increasing the actual square footage of the house. Uh, some of those kinds of principles. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so uh, a house is such a reflection of, of, of each individual. I don't, I don't have a lot of shoulds for how people, uh, <laughs> should approach that. Uh Um, You know, I don't think there's anything necessarily that people do wrong. Uh, I know that I will go out and look at the way a lot of houses are put together. And as an architect, I can, I can see that given that same pile of materials, I could put it together in a way, you know, not adding anything other than what's already there, but rearrange it in a way that it could be uh, more livable, more aesthetic, uh, more sustainable, uh, a number of those different kinds of things. So, are there any uh, common uh, traps or errors that you see? Uh, probably, boy, I don't know. That's a tough one. Um, as a uh, uh, as a designer, uh, you know, doing one of a kind houses for folks. Um. I can't really say that there's any of that, you know, there's things that, that are disappointing to me as an architect when mm-hmm. people say them. So like limiting design options based on what's marketable right? rather than what people want. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that, 
I think that communicates a lot about where a person is in life or what's happening. And again, there's no shoulds for me in this, but uh, sometimes people will uh, build a house because, uh, uh, and they'll do it pretty quick and kind of, you know, they'll grab a plan that they can get from wherever and put it up and, and then there it is and they'll be in it for three or four years and then they'll be gone. Yeah. So for me, that's like too bad. Um, you know, I would certainly prefer people to be uh, making longer term decisions than that, you know, with, uh, you know, the seven generations out kind of decisions. Uh, and uh, so that way, when the next people move in, they're not they're not up against all of those uh, difficulties that were ignored in that initial design phase, mm. just so people could get in or turn it over for a profit or, uh, you know, uh, get in cheaper, something like that. So, so that's uh, trying to avoid the commoditization of building and um, selling houses. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I say that and I realize too, that, you know, it's only like 1% of what gets built goes across the desk of an architect. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There you have it. Which is a whole yeah. other issue. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, just before we, we finish up, I, I don't want to mention Glass because you talked about that your climate that where you do a lot of work in, uh, in and around North Carolina is a, yeah. is a little bit forgiving, but it's still pretty cold there. It does get cold. That's um, right. We've got snow and all kinds of winter things. And, so, yeah. and I often get pulled up um, by some passionate, energy-efficient kind of – designers um, who get very wound up about uh, architectural houses who that win awards and are essentially glass boxes you is got it, it is it possible to have too much glass or, or how do you how do you um, uh, resolve that I guess bit of a conflict between really good views and that sense of the sky at the same time as being really energy efficient yeah, yeah, definitely a trade-off that goes on there. Uh, I find uh, doing some computer modeling really assists with that kind of a thing. Uh, and then again, uh, if we want to put numbers on it, uh, the degree days here in Asheville are uh, around, I think it's 3,900, something like that. Uh, so Boston is maybe 52. I'm not quite sure of the numbers. So uh, like you say, it's real winter here, but it, we can get away with some things. Um, right. And then uh, it's a it's a trade off. So um, uh, it depends on what kind of glazing one is using, uh, what kind of heating system you want to put in there. So all of that, you know, integrating integrating all that with a computer model. So viewing it as a whole system, I think, helps because uh, then. Uh, uh, one can see where one to put one can put the, their money uh, to to get the most benefit. Uh, is it yeah. in uh, increasing the R value of the glass? Is it uh, reducing the thermal bridging if you're using stud uh, construction, stick frame construction? Uh, you know, uh, increasing insulation, use spray foam over fiberglass. You know, all those kinds of things. I think that uh, becomes really a critical thing, and and then hiring the right consultants too, I think helps. Uh, there's and there's more and more of those folks around mm. who will do that energy modeling, who have a lot of experience and can recommend appropriate equipment. They can assist with downsizing the heating and air conditioning system based on better insulation, better infiltration. Uh, well, let's say lack of infiltration. Uh, you know, outside air seeping in. 
um, so that it gets to be fine-tuned to what you're doing and not just rules of thumb that might be over it might overshoot what's actually necessary yeah um, you know and is, so. is that is that what do you outsource that uh, typically I will yeah there's a couple and Asheville has a pretty vibrant green community so there's a couple of consultants here that uh, just do that kind of consulting They're right. engineers who do uh, energy modeling and can recommend equipment they can they can tell you the difference between an HRV and an ERV and recommend yep. which one of those <laughs> and have long conversations about which one needs to go in what projects and and what the variables are and and why you would put one in one and not in another one and you know all of those things as well as indoor air quality uh, you know all of those kind of uh, and it's nice because they're they're keeping on top of all of that current research which. You know, for an architect as a generalist, there is a lot of stuff to be to be known. Yeah, um, and for every... uh, for someone who's been doing it for uh, a while and has got the wealth of experience that you have, um, that's that's pretty cool that you you are still using the latest and greatest of what's available out there and and getting computer modeling done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's really helpful and. Um, I haven't uh I almost got to the point where I integrated some of that into the design process. I think that would have been the next thing so that as I'm designing uh, because I, one of the things I noticed was uh a lot of uh energy uh, calculations would get done on basis of two-dimensional faction figures rather than three. Uh -huh. So the square footage of a house rather than the volume of a house. Uh, and uh, the volume is really what's more controlling, obviously, yeah. than yeah. the, the two-dimensional parts of it. And but just having some early information about what's uh, uh, what's happening and fine-tuning that to one's design style and where one likes to go with design and the materials uh, that one likes to use uh, feels like that would uh, you know being able to to see early on which direction to go to get the kind of uh the kind of glass that one wants in a project as well as the sustainable technologies all of the sustainable issues taken care of that feels really big to me and really important yeah it sounds like that would be a another good tip for people is to get that sort of yeah um input and get someone like that on the team early rather than once the you're sort of working towards detailed design stage Exactly, because then you've gone by some of these early critical decisions and you're just kind of stuck with knitting if you're not careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Hey, Chris, it's been a um, pleasure talking with you. You've got some fantastic ideas and you obviously spend a lot yeah. of time, uh, as I said, observing people and observing nature and incorporating that into some beautiful designs. Um, Thank you. I love your ceilings too, by the way. Um, yeah, that, I don't. I, I thought that's what you were going to say when you mentioned <laughs> the the glass, because I imagine that a lot of people come into your buildings and be drawn to to look up, not just the the sky outside, but the the ceiling as well, with the the laminated timber and other finishes that you use. I'll bet that's true too. Yep. Yeah. Probably it's... outside first. That's you know where the, that's kind of the big thing, and then I'll bet then all of that comes into play as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, now yeah. you mentioned that you're. Would you say sort of part time architect now? You're still doing some consulting. Yes, still doing some consulting, 
And uh, where's the yeah, best when, place people can get in touch with you? Uh, if they go to the website, my website, chrislarsonarchitect.com, then uh, they can email. Great. And we'll sure to link that up, and uh, um, I'll encourage people to go and check out some of your uh, images on the site. Thank that you very great. much for your time, Chris. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. All right, Matt. I've enjoyed it too. appreciate awesome. it as well. And that was Chris Larson coming to us there from the beautiful Asheville in North Carolina. And definitely head on over to chrislarsonarchitect.com. And I'll put uh, some links to that in the show notes so you can have a look at some of the images and some of the homes that Chris has, has created. And also read up on his um, interesting thoughts about the sociable kitchen. You can find the information for this episode over at homestylegreen.com forward slash 121. That's for episode 121. Thank you very much to ProClimber for helping you, uh, us bring you this show. Check them out, proclimate.com.au or proclimate.co.nz or just proclimate.com for all your draft proofing and uh, building air tightness needs. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Now, also, if you are in the early stages of planning or if you're in the planning or even the early building stage and you'd like some independent help with your project, particularly if you are in and around the Auckland area in New Zealand, then give us a bell. I'm helping out a few people with their concept designs and their plans. And also, a lot of the time, it's just a a bit of a confidence that you're on the right track or someone to to review your plans. If you are interested in that, then head on over to homestylegreen.com. You can also email me, matthew at homestylegreen.com, to find out more. Thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, now, go make a better place to live.